Amen. Well, today we conclude our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. It's found right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let's share in God's good word together. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those immortal words written in 1611. It's been a long time since we prayed ye here as a church, right? In the King James Version. Scholars have learned a lot since 1611. And the changes are reflected in your Bibles. And we come to the most important prayer Um, That there is, because this, and only in this place is that Jesus say, this is how you are to pray. And it's on Palm Sunday that Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, uh, which is a a high point. There's a valley where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and it comes up, and there's the Temple Mount, and there would be the Temple. And Jesus comes to the point of his life, and he looks at the Temple, and he knows that he has a choice to make. And he knows well, well, well before the cross, well before the arrest, well before the Lord's Supper, that if he gets on that donkey, on that colt, a foal of a donkey, that that will be the end of him. He will die, certainly. Because he would be fulfilling the prophecy that was made that the Messiah, the chosen one, the one they'd waited for more than 400 years in deep darkness, he would be saying, I am God, I am he, and it would all roll from there. And that's exactly what he did, because he had a mission for you and for me and for the world. So today, before you go, I hope you'll grab one of these crosses. It's made of olive wood. Um, You may or may not know this. The Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus gives his life uh, to the Father, is in an olive garden, um, an olive orchard. And so we hope that you'll take one of these and keep it for yourself or give it to a friend or take two, one for yourself and one for a friend. We also have the Lord's Prayer and little printouts here so that as you are going on your way, you can keep it in your pocket. And as you reach down, you can remember that, yes, the Lord is with you. He's with you wherever you go. There's no place that you can go that the Lord is not. And so we're going to conclude this series uh, today. And then, of course, we're going to celebrate Good Friday on Friday and then Easter Uh, Which is why we're all here. Because we worship not a martyr, but a savior. Amen? Yeah. 
So, um, here we are. We, we finish up. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, and if you have little ones, we hope you'll take uh, this children's book with you. It's the most important prayer of all. We have one for every family. Uh, our hope is that there will be none of these crosses and none of the books left today. That this is it. They're all out into the kingdom for people to know more and more about Jesus. And that way you can invite them back to Easter services or whenever might be a good time to introduce them um, to the greatest thing that could ever happen to them in their whole life. So as a way of introduction, uh, the scripture that we just read from the King James Version, you won't find that in Bibles any longer. Because we now know it was not in the original manuscripts. It was added later. And scholars also know that there are at least 10 different endings to the Lord's Prayer in various manuscripts. And so um, you may have heard about Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so the more of these pieces of Scripture that they find and they, and they match, they learn some things about what was in and what wasn't in. So if you look in your NRSV or you look in NIV or the Common English Bible or the Message, you won't have... Uh, the doxology that we just read, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It won't be there um, because that's not what's in the original manuscript. So, Eugene Boring says it like this. Early English translators, translations such as the King James Version, they were simply unaware of the oldest Greek text, which had not yet been rediscovered, with the result that the common English form of the Lord's Prayer used in public worship quite appropriately includes the doxology. Just because it isn't there doesn't mean it's not right to do that. That's a, great, that's a great prayer. There can be no doubt, however, that it is a later edition made long after Matthew's time. They know that the Gospels were written somewhere between 50 and 80, um, and then uh, Paul's work is really early, and then other texts come much, much later. So, very quickly, if you haven't been with us, uh, or just as a reminder, week one we learned that God is whose father? Our Father, right? God is the loving God of how many people? All people, throughout all time. We can never forget that. Because if God is our Father, then everybody else is our brother and sister, which changes the way we relate to each other. Now, Reverend Adam Hamilton, in his book, he would say it like this. We live in a world that is focused on my, mine, and me, but Jesus teaches us to pray how? Our, us, and we. It is a communal prayer. right? So in the early church, they didn't understand like singular prayer, like it was something you always did together. You wanted to make sure that you were on the right path and your community helps you do that. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Heaven is simply wherever what God wants done is done. That's it. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, well, that's true because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And so wherever he is, that's heaven, wherever that is. And in in our life, we'll catch glimpses of this, but there'll be one day where that's Always true in every arena. It will always be the case. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We either hallow God's name or we desecrate God's name every day. With our words, with our actions, um, just all of it. This, this is what we do. We're either lifting up and giving glory to God's name or we're pulling back from it. And, and people are watching. And they have to decide, it, do I want to be like that? Is that something that I want to give my life to? And so your witness is super important even if you don't know it. So that was week one. Week two is this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is really the same way of saying the same thing twice. Because, of course, if it's God's kingdom, then it's going to be what he wants done. So that's that's simply what that means. And in some ways, you could argue that every single line of the Lord's Prayer is really this same line. Not ours, God, but yours. 
Because thy will be done means whatever you want, God. We place our wills under your will. Is it okay for you to have a will? Absolutely. That you, sh- you, you should. That we are to train and reign with Christ in this world through God's power for the very transformation of the world. That's what we do. That's good. But it always has to sit underneath the perfect will of the Father. So in our will, we say, give us this day our daily bread, right? Not just mine and good luck to you, but our daily bread. Give us, all of us, because there's enough food on the planet for everybody. There just is. We have a heart problem and a distribution problem. So give us this day our daily bread. That's our will. That's our need. God says, of course. And, and bread is also much more than just bread. It's also a metaphor. Um, so basically, it's give us a hunger for you, God. And your will that all your children have enough to eat. That's really what we're saying when we say, give us this day our daily bread. And then we say, and by the way, we know that doesn't always happen, so forgive us. Those are actually tied together. Most, most scholars will tie those together about daily bread and forgiveness. Because even throughout time, they know that people have not very been, been very good at sharing. And so when we don't share, forgive us. Forgive us our sins, our debts, and our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who owe us. So give us your grace, God, to forgive the unforgivable in ourselves and others, to live in the peace of your heaven. Because you remember that in heaven, there's no meanness, there's no anger, there's no chaos, it's only peace. And then we came to last week, which is a very confusing passage, um, if you don't really dig into it, and that is, do not bring us to the time of trial. Does God um, bring you to the time of trial? No. No, that's, that's not what God does. So in the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, it says, And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, in the King James Version, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Scholars now know that the, the better translation for, um, in the Greek is evil one. Really talking about the devil, not evil and some just nebulous form. And so we, we've, we've come to know that. Now, the time of trial is actually uh, what you may have heard of as the time of tribulation, a very difficult time right before the end of time. Um, and basically what we're praying, and it's okay to pray this, to keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. That's what temptation looks like. The time of tribulation is that time which has not yet come. Um, and I mean, it can come in our lifetime, but it hasn't yet come. And so those are two great prayers. God don't put me in a spot where it's going to be too much for me and I'm going to fail, the time of tribulation. And, God, don't let me just run with whatever I want because I'm going to find myself in trouble. And certainly don't lead me, allow the devil to come in and derail my life. And that's all, that's all good, right? We can, we can pray that. But here's the thing. Sometimes, for you really, really wonderful, good church people, our greatest temptation just to do nothing. It's just to do nothing at all when God is calling us to act. We think, well, that, that, I'm not sure that God would want that. And we have a weird way of interacting with God, don't we? Um, one of my favorite stories I heard a guy tell, he said he was on a diet and he had been convinced that the Lord did not want him to be at his weight. He was supposed to lose weight. And he had been doing pretty good. He'd been at this about two weeks. And then the thought came into his mind, you want a donut. It was a Saturday morning. That had been their tradition. You want a donut. 
And so then he started talking to God. He knew that God wanted him to lose weight. He knew he was supposed to watch what he was eating. And, but he was like, is that the voice of God? Get a donut. Or is that me? And so he said to the Lord, if this is you, God, open up a parking spot right in front of the donut shop. And if it's you, I'll know because it opens up and then I'll know I'm in your will. And you know what? The fifth time around that deal has <laughs> opened up. It's amazing. That's how it works with temptation, isn't it? And we don't think of Jesus as being tempted, but he was. Today, Palm Sunday, Jesus was tempted. He could have gone on and, and called a thousand angels from heaven to surround him. They could have had a party. They could have wiped out the Romans. They could have wiped out Herod. They could have wiped out every evil thing on the planet had they chosen. But he didn't. He chose you. And all the way back into Palm Sunday, he's looking over the city of Jerusalem and he's weeping. He knows what's coming. Not for himself, but for them. Because the temple is going to be completely burned to the ground uh, by the year 70, just about 40 years later. Of course, he knows this. And he gets on that donkey anyway, and the people wave branches having no idea what's about to happen, but Jesus knows. And he's fulfilling the prophet Zechariah. And the prophet says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious as he humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And when they saw Jesus fulfill this prophecy, they knew he was the one. And so we pray, even today, For thine is the kingdom. Who's thine? Jesus. His is the kingdom. So we pray, if Jesus is the kingdom, then help me live like it. If Jesus is the kingdom where what Jesus wants done is done, if Jesus has power to give me, help me live like it. Not to cower from the things that I need to do in this world, that I'm called to do in this world, but to live into it. Thine is the kingdom. So at the end of the prayer in the doxology, it says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All of these are God's. All of these belong to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So, friends, if this is true, then everything you pray before that is possible. Right? It's the same way if you think all the way to the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, right before Jesus ascends, right before the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, it says this, All authority... All authority in heaven and on earth is mine, Jesus says. All of it, which is what this means. And then he says, therefore, make disciples in my name, baptizing them and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Well, you you can only do the latter because of the therefore, because Jesus, all authority and power is his. And all our prayer is answered because all authority is God's because of the kingdom and the power and the glory. They're not ours. Forever and ever, it's the way it is. It belongs to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Which simply means, so be it. It's true. So Jesus comes to this moment. And so often we have somehow dumbed down our faith to pray a couple of prayers so that Jesus can keep you out of trouble. Now, can Jesus keep you out of trouble? Absolutely. Of course. But ours is not some self-help group behavior modification course. It's much bigger than that. Now, if you give your life to Christ, your life will change. And that's supposed to happen. But it's, you don't become a Christian so that you can eat one less donut a week. 
There's lots of different ways to do that. Right? So Dallas Willard talks about grace. We all need grace to be forgiven, and that's true. But we also need grace to do what we're called to do. And I would submit to you that Mother Teresa in her life burned a lot more grace day to day than most people I've ever met. Because what she was called to, what she was doing, was much bigger than she could do in her own power. So she had to pray the Lord's Prayer to get God's power to do the work of the ministry. And that's what we do. And so we receive God's power to go out. And so Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, the true saint, like Mother Teresa, like you and I at our best, burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. Right? We need to be on our knees saying, God, fill me because what you're asking me to do today is way bigger than I can do. It's got to be you. Show out, show off. Because I want everybody to know it's not us, it's you. I want whatever you're going to do today to be so big that no one's ever going to be able to point to me because they know I can't do it. We want to point to you. So you may have learned that grace is unmerited favor, and it is. You can't earn it. It is total forgiveness. That's true too. But it's much more than that. It's holy power. And that's the sacrament here is for your holy power to go out and to live, right? But that's what we do. We come here to learn and to be empowered to go out there to change the world. So this grace, it's God's power acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. Will you read that with me? Grace is God's power acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. And that's why Paul in the New Testament goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on about all his awards and accolades. And, oh, was I a Pharisee? Yes, I was the greatest Pharisee. And was I a persecutor of the church? Oh, yes, I was the best at that too, by the way. So if you're Paul, he's the best at everything. But he goes on to say all of that is rubbish. It, it actually word, uses a much worse word than that. Um, but, but the thing is he's pointing to is it's God's grace and power that we're looking for so that we will be doing things that are much bigger than us. Not for our own glory, but for God's. And so if it is God's power, and it is, for thine is the kingdom, thine is the power. So if thine is the power, we need to yield to it. Right? You have to yield to it. Because it doesn't make any sense if you know the power is there and you just go right on by it. We yield to it. And again, it's not that, oh, well, God's doing the thing and I have to worry about it. No, no, no. You yield to it and then you follow it. It's like, where are you going, God? Let me go with you. Because I want to be where God is. That's how this works. And so, uh, you all know what a yield sign looks like. I know, this is what you do at a stop sign. But this is what you're really supposed to do (laughs) with with the yield sign. Right? You allow the other to go, and then you fall in line. 1 Chronicles says it like this. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. This is a prayer of David. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory. Sound familiar? See, this was around thousands and thousands of years before it ever made to the end of the Lord's Prayer. The victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O God, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. This is what we have to know when we pray. It's a position of humility before the Lord. Rowan Williams, who's the 104th Archbishop of Canterbury, says it like this. There is a deep connection, friends, a deep connection between praying and living justly in the world. 
You could probably argue that if you don't pray, if you're not connected to something greater than yourself, there's no way to live justly in the world. You just do what's best for you, which is unjust for somebody else, ultimately. Being the kind of mature human being who is not trapped by selfishness, fear of others, anxiety about the future, or the desire to succeed at others' expense. And what I find is most people aren't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and really put them down. Most people are just like, I really want mine, and I don't want to think about how I got there. I, I'm just going to, it's just going to be a blessing, like, you know, my parking spot in front of the donut shop. It just happened. Kind of. You had something to do with that. See, it takes a power greater than ourselves beyond getting our teeth, beyond gritting our teeth to live into Christ-likeness. There's to be joy there. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks. We're going to do a whole sermon series on joy, how we live in the joy of the Lord. But this power is greater. You say that with me? This power is greater. It's greater than ourselves. It's greater than our country. It's greater than our church. It's greater than the world. It's the greatest power. It's the power that puts worlds into being. So the chronicler goes on. It says, riches and honor come from you, O God. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. So I want you to think about your life. Think about your spouse, your friends, where you go to school, where you work, what you drive, all of it. Your education, the things you've learned through the school of hard knocks or on-the-job training. All that's in you. And with God, nothing's wasted. Amen? None of it. Matter of fact, for many of us, your ministry is in the very places of pain because you know how to help someone as they're entering that pain or coming out of that pain. So the question for you and for me and for all of God's children is how are you using the power and the pain that God has allowed into your life? That's the question of the prayer. If thine is the kingdom and the power... The way God receives glory forever is if our lives give it to him. The same way we either hallow or desecrate God's name, we either glorify or pull back from God's name. Because his is the glory. Amen? Right? That's it. Thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And glory has helped me to live for thy glory, not my glory. And you do have to choose. Thine or mine. So um, years ago, when we were still worshiping in the school, we used to sing a song called Not to Us. And it comes from Psalm 115. Uh, and, and the psalmist wrote it like this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Everything that happens on this 35 acres is for God's glory, not ours. Every ministry that we have is for God's glory, not ours. Every person that we help God feed, it's not for our glory, it's for God's. And for the benefit of whoever's fed that day. That's our work, to glorify God's name and all that we do. And so we are, of course, very particular about what we build here, how we build, what we look like, how we maintain the grounds, because it's not for our glory anyway. Who's it for? It's for God. It's a witness of God. And so we want people to come on our campus and play soccer or golf or basketball or volleyball. There's a lot going on here through the week, by the way. And we want that to be a blessing so that it brings glory to God's name. 
In worship, of course, but in everything else we do as well. So Adam Hamilton in his book, he says it like this, Glory belongs to God. And we either obscure God's glory or we reflect it and magnify it. Any of y'all outside last night with that moon? So bright, right? So bright, reflecting. And that's really what we are to be. We're not the sun. Right? If you think of as God or Jesus as the sun, we're the moon. Bounce off of me. Show light. It's not our light. It doesn't come from us. We simply reflect it. But you need to be in the right place, and you have to be open to it. So when we come to this forever amen, which I always think of Randy Travis when I hear those <laughs> words. But anyway, it's not in the Bible. Forever amen. Forever in the Greek literally means into the ages. Or for the eons. We don't use eon um, much anymore. And so I thought for those of you, do you all use eon here on the front row? No, I'm about to learn you. Okay, here you go. An eon is equal to a billion years. So when they say for eons and eons, it's like, those of you who know the Carl Sagan reference, you know, billions and billions of years, way out there, right? It's like more than your mind can hold on to. And so growing up, I used to hear this phrase. Maybe you've heard it. People will say, well, nothing lasts forever. It's not exactly true. There's one thing that lasts forever, and that's Jesus and his kingdom. And his power lasts forever, and his glory lasts forever. And ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, amen. And never forget that forever is forever. It's not forever here forward. It's forever, both directions. Which connects you to everybody else who's ever lived on the planet. That's important. And everyone else who will ever live on the planet. And that's important. And it ought to change the way we live if we're going to be a part of something that lasts forever, truly forever. And this is what I try to say somehow, some way in every sermon. And that is you and I, we're going to live forever. And there's nothing we can do about it. You and I, we're going to live forever. Who you really are. Not who you want people to think you are, but who you really are in your bones when you're by yourself, taking a walk, cursing your dog. Oh, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> no, who you really are, right? Dallas Willard says it like this. We are unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That's who we are. And that's why with all that I am, I want to encourage you and I beg you every single week in and out here it matters not so much what you're doing, but who you are becoming. Who you're becoming. Is your heart getting larger for people? Are you less irritated? Are you more joyful? Are you more generous? All the fruits of the Spirit. Are those things becoming true in your life? Because that person, who you're becoming, it never ends. It never ends. So therefore... Who we are becoming, you and I. It's the most important thing about us. And the Lord's Prayer, it's a training manual of how to get there. To put us in right relationship with God. So the prayer is meant to train us and to prepare us for the forever that lies ahead of us. That we are now already a part of. So what you do today matters because that's already a part of the forever. And most of the Christians I talk to, 
don't think anything about that. They just want to get right so that when forever starts after they're dead, they, they get a free pass to, you know, to heaven. They don't really want to think about anything that came before, but that's not how forever works, is it? Forever is forever. It's not future. If it was future, the Bible would say future is forever. And so who you are, who you're becoming, is the most important thing about you. And in Revelation 21, God's forever kingdom is already here. And it's still to come. And that's why Easter is so great. In Revelation, it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Read this with me. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain. No more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things, what? New. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. So that's forever. And the last word is amen. Or if you're high church, amen. Now, now I'm not going to be able to say it right from now on. Amen or amen, either way. It's a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that means so be it. Or may it be so. It also means I agree. That's how I've always learned it kind of growing up. I agree. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Dallas Willard, in his, mo- in his lightest moments, he'll say, and you could translate it, try this on for size, whoopee. <laughs> which, which is very sweet if you ever knew Dallas or read him because he's a philosopher and is, you know, pretty big. So, I mean, if Dallas lets us say whoopee, we get to say whoopee. It's pretty, it's pretty good. You might try it at the end of your prayer. Rowan Williams um, talks about it in conclusion like this. He says, prayer is your promise and pledge to be there for God. For the God who is already there for you. And that essentially is where prayer for the Christian begins and ends. We're saying, God, we're, we're showing up for you because we know you're already here for us. Guide us, help us, teach us. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you something that's very super personal to me. And so, normally, I want your feedback. If you don't like what you're about to see next, I never want to know about it. Because it's just very personal to me. And, I, and I want to, I'm doing this to encourage you to do the same. I want you, we've been at this for six weeks now. And hopefully, your, your thoughts have changed around the Lord's Prayer, at least a little. Is that, is that true for some of you? Think it's a little different? And so, I want to, this, is, this is my paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer as I understand it. I won't pray it like this all the time, but it helped me to write it down. Our Daddy, that's what Abba is, it's not formal. Everywhere good and everywhere kind. Awesome is your name. Do what you want here, like you do at home with the saints and angels. Give us a hunger for you and your will that all your children have enough to eat. Including us here, of course. And forgive us when we don't share. When we overstep our place. And when we don't trust that you really are good and you really are enough. Give us your grace to forgive the unforgivable. In ourselves and in others. And lead us. As you always do. Never into temptation. But as the one who always delivers us from evil inside and out. 
And we know that all of this is possible because you are the king of the kingdom. You are in charge. All power belongs to you and all glory to is yours alone for all time, for all people in all places. Which is what our hearts have truly longed for all along. And to that, if you can, say, Amen. There you go. Y'all are the advanced class, apparently. All right, good. Good, good. So our action step is, I, I, I want you to try that. Just paraphrase the Lord's Prayer. You can go line from line as you understand it. If you're super brave, share it with somebody uh, that's wise. And reflect on, on what are the parts of the Lord's Prayer we really are able to live into and what are the parts we're still working on, maybe need some help with. To change from my and mine to thy and thine and to yield that daily. So, uh, with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.